Welcome back to Project Outsiders. If you are returning, thank you so much for your support and joining us along on our journey to improving the foster care system. For those who are new, welcome to the Foster Care Experience podcast. We are a youth-led social organization that is trying to bridge the gap between youth and care with decision makers. We are all youth from care who have been pushed by our experiences to ensure we see changes to a disconnected system. In today's episode, we will be talking about what it's like being Black and in care. And helping us with this conversation are two youth advocates with distinct viewpoints. Kingston has been advocating for youth for over seven years. He is a transgender male and a single parent. Coming from an American background, Kingston has a unique experience of not only what it means to be a Black youth in care, but also becoming a Canadian. He has been learning about another side of his Black culture, which has evolved his identity and made him more connected to his roots. Aiden is a biracial youth with an affinity for advocating for all youth, regardless of identity and culture. He has also been advocating for over seven years and uses his positive experience and care to educate others on what is possible. He is also pursuing an education in psychology at Mohawk College. I would now like to introduce to you these two beautiful humans. Welcome. Well, we have this one driver. I super depended on her. She, her and her husband, I love her. Um, Her and her husband, they, they... no, 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 Jamaican. Um, it's and like, L, right? From Jamaican, huh? It's L, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and she's just beautiful. Like, I love her, and she's always been so sweet. And like, when before I even cut my hair off, like, she would, she um, would always try to like go and like ask more work and be like, hey, I know somebody that like would do, you know, this child's hair. You know, can I take this person? And I remember the biggest issue, um, really like a big problem. You know, black, just culturally, like, I don't know how many times I've been in a salon in somebody's house. Straight up. Like, you know what I mean? That's just... And I think that's something actually very, very, very important that I have to say on here. Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, there's so many black hairstylists that have salons at their house. But because it's not a hair salon, I was not able to go to it. You know what I mean? And it's like... She still does hair professionally. Yeah. And she just... Because she has, like, a, a hair dryer and stuff, you know what I mean, in her basement, her little salon set up in her basement, I can't go because it doesn't look like a first choice. Yeah, it doesn't look like a... she afford to rent a booth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, or rent a chair. And then that's the... That's way beyond the foster care. That's the systematic... That's affecting yeah. her business. It that's is. affecting... That's, like, that's why black people are going without, because of things like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it goes through something as little as just not letting a youth go out because I don't have community time or you know and then on top of that the fact that it takes so long to get my hair done they're like why are you out of the house all day you're going to be at the strangest house it's five hours even day. for me who five has short hours. hair it's Ten. five hours for <laughs> yeah, me like, to get twists five <laughs> hours that's oh, ridiculous yeah so i think that's really super problematic like that whole part yeah that's not even taken away from black families just community in general yeah i'm gonna write that down because i think that's so actually i don't even need to write it down we have a recording mm-hmm. i'm gonna look back at that because like i think that's something that we can try and address and fix mm-hmm. um but god that is facts mm-hmm. man 
It's just like when people don't understand your culture and they only been around or surrounded by one kind of culture, one kind of viewpoint, one kind of way of thinking. It's just like when a new one comes along, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's not wrong. It's just you need to be more open. You have to be more open-minded and just think, okay, what's the reality of it? It doesn't even sometimes it doesn't even have to do with culture. It just has to do it just has to do with somebody's situation. Mm-hmm. You know? Like when it comes to like as you said, having a salon in your basement, mm-hmm. what if they cannot rent afford to rent out an actual studio on a busy street to make business and mm-hmm. like the whole turnaround or um investment to have to um put funding into that to rent out a shop on a busy place mm-hmm. and it's not even just not renting getting... out a shop, it's renting out a chair too. When you're a barber yeah. you have to rent your chair. Rent so it every single You have to pay thing. rent for the chair. Wow. Unless so, yeah. unless you are like one into business with your partner. And that person's also cutting hair. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to rent a chair when you work when you work as a hairstylist. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, my immediate family has a lot of friends that were hairstylists, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why I know this. But um, mm-hmm. and afford having to rent that chair. Let's say it's three hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. and you gotta put rent on that chair, and you have to put rent on your house. Exactly. It, exactly. It, it a builds up, and here's the thing: it's like people need to stop judging these businesses good businesses on like you know the aesthetic or the house or whatever especially when it's for startups Mm -hmm. and just judge them on their work do they do a good Mm -hmm. job and that's what you should care most about about whether you're going to put invest your money or use their service kind of thing Mm -hmm. and i think that's just kind of like a, a frame of mind that needs to change within our society as a whole um but no, I think we as black people, we're, we're used to that. We're used to like our moms, our aunties or whatever, doing our hair in between their legs, um, mm. you know, just braiding it up inside their basement, inside a room, inside the house. Yeah. And so when we go to somebody else's house and have the same thing, it's almost like, oh, they're kind of like family. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. And um, what was I going to say? I feel like that. It affected my whole life. <laughs> Literally, like, just my whole, like, I can't over-exaggerate anymore. Like, just not having that sense of um, community and stuff. Like, to this day, I am desperate for black friends. Literally. Like, I, I feel like I could have been so much more in tune with my culture. And, like, I don't like the way sometimes Caribbean people will, like, quiet down when they hear my voice. You know what I mean? Like, they'll be all, like, loud and da-da-da and this, just the way we naturally are. You know what I mean? And, like, and then, like, the second they realize that I don't know Patois, well, I can't speak Patois. Mind you, I can understand it literally perfectly fine. But... I try. I can't, like, speak it. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Then it looks, and I'm... Obviously, they don't understand the system messed me up and da-da-da. You know what I mean? But it's just to this day, I want my child to have a sense of community. And thank God his his father's family is Guyanese, like straight from Guyana, because or else he would have had no none, none. You know what I mean? Like, that affects my life, my child's life, his child's life, because if he doesn't have roots, this is generations that it's affecting. And I want to be able, like, I see my black friend, like, I see my black friends that have black friends hang out and they look like they have so much fun and I'm sitting here like all my friends well the ones I did have before I had a baby want to go like want to go to raves and 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 Yo, you know, let me invite like, you, your son, your family over. Yeah, I'll make right? some ackee and saltfish. Exactly. Have a full eye, you know. But I want to get like a black people's meat for like young people. You know what I mean? And not just like relationship wise. Like I just. 
I am desperate for black friends. And that I, I shouldn't be like that. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it shouldn't be like that. And the system is fully responsible. I'm not desperate for any friends, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am not! <laughs> no, like, I've always been kind of the kid that's on the on the edge. It's just kind of, I do my own shit, you do your own shit, we chill it. Um, and so, but all my friends, for the most part, are white. Um, which is no surprise to me. I grew up in Oakville. Most of my <laughs> friends come from Oakville. There's a high chance that they're going to be white. Um, I also didn't get along with black kids because I didn't identify as black. I identified as a kid. That was it. I read books, watched anime. Like I played basketball. So when we were playing basketball, everybody was happy. But then when I wasn't playing basketball and it wasn't the black kids who watch anime, then I, then I was out of out of things to talk with them with so um mm-hmm. because they all saw themselves as black and i saw myself as just a kid like i didn't associate whether i was black or irish it didn't matter to me um well that which is fine so but for I me like... i had none of those yeah and um and even now like i see people tr- and it's impossible now to make friends right like i didn't go to school last year uh i took a year off after taking my first year in school after taking a year off <laughs> um but I didn't go to school last year because of uh, financial issues, and I realized that making friends, having been new to the city that I moved to, was impossible. Mm -hmm. It was impossible, and at the time, I wasn't on, like, dating apps because I had a girlfriend, and she, and so I, I, I didn't use those, but, like, that's what people are using to try and find friends when they're, like, 24, 25, because they're no longer in school. And so it's like, where, how do you meet people? How do you go out and make new friends? And if you're looking to make new friends that are in your community, how do you even find that community when you're on your own? Listen, man, it's I went so to the weird. club, and then COVID came around, and now I'm never going to go to the club again. I've never been a club but, like, person. The club, <laughs> and no, neither have I. I'm not the type of person that like to be in an enclosed space with intoxicated people. Cause it's just, like, I don't like drunk people. That's why I don't go to the out. club. I work, for, the I work with is, drunk people. It's like, like the club that I went to, it, they were like... They had certain nights, so they had, like, dance hall nights or, like, 90s nights and all that type of stuff. And that's where I got to meet the black people. You know what I mean? That's where I was, like, I felt like, I was like, this is good. Like, I feel nice here. And that's kind of, like, what I was kind of curious about. Where, like, I get that you don't identify as black. You just identify as a person. But, like, the whole thing that I really love about the black community is that especially, like, yeah, we're humans, but we're humans that kind of have a little bit more in common. Like, just, like, our experience growing up, understanding, like, how, um, you know, Caribbean parents are kind of, like, Mm. understanding our cultural food and being able to have a conversation like that is a lot, you know, easier to have with some people, you know, who has heavy experiences like that. You know, for some of you guys, maybe you didn't experience that much of it because, uh, you know, you were just brought up in a different kind of family or different kind of environment, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, that's kind of one thing that, you know, being black, that I just, like, personally love and get excited about. And that's why the OVOV was just, like, such a game changer because all of us, we came together and we kind of understood each other on a different level. And so, like, you know, <laughs> I, I keep on, I always say this because, like, I've spoken at, like, a couple of, you know, um, board meetings and stuff like that to talk about OVOV. 
And I one thing that I always mention is like that energy in the room, it was different. I, I can't I talk to I talk I tell people about it so many time. Sorry, I'm getting like I'm stuttering by the emotion behind yeah. this shit. But like that those conferences is thank you is severely what I need like that's what I mean you know what I mean and and those thing things like that like I cry yeah I literally I like the second I go into the room like so many beautiful faces so many so much colors so much joy so much strength the dances like, yeah. the everything the OVOV was the, the first time I met a black worker Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had one at our agency we didn't know about. She was exactly. hiding. She was like the mythical worker. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, See, the one that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. The one that came in your room woke you I up because you slept too long. I never. We didn't see her. Existed. And literally. She and was just in the back, and that's day, the thing. I was at the group home, and then somebody told me that the, a worker was going to come pick me up, and I just figured that they'd be having a white worker because it's Halton. You know we had I mean? V pick us up. Yeah. And um, no, we no, no, had I got V pick us up. up. I, had, I got picked up by a C. <gasps> yeah, we had V. A uh, little small re- small red car. We picked yeah. you up at the residence, and then we went oh to God. OVOV. Yeah. I have a great memory in long term. And so, did you remember me beforehand? Got it. Remember, guys, uh, the camera's timing out. So okay, uh, this is gonna get a, this is gonna get good. Mm-hmm. I really want to hear about. Okay, so yeah, I really want to hear about your experiences with OVOV. Like you, you know, coming with um, your middle in the line views. Um, <laughs> And just like, you know, how you view people as black. How did that black conference or that black experience was for the both of you? Like, I want to hear you first. No, I want to hear you first because you started to get like emotional. (laughs) Like, it was life changing. Straight up. Like, it was. It was. It was. Oh, my goodness. The power. I wrote things down. I'm going to (laughs) cry. I met this beautiful, beautiful girl. Oh, yeah, damn. I met this beautiful girl. I'm so sorry to get so emotional so quickly. Um, But yeah, OVO, whatever the fudge, um, changed my life. Um, I met this beautiful girl. Her name is Brittany. Um, and she was one of the, I guess, facilitators. No, she was the sister of the Little sister. There's like, um, yeah, paper towel. I think she was just like really outspoken because she was family with... Yeah, she was, um, I'm, I don't want to say his name, but she was his little sister and I loved her. She's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. And like the first event that we had, like the, um, I think it was hair story, literally that's not the thing. Um, but what do you call it? The first event, the first black conference was where I met Brittany and, um, it was, life-changing like I had never one been able to be around so many black people at one time and two like just her beauty you know what I mean and um I'll never forget that because of meeting her I still have what she gave makes, me roses. what about her makes you so emotional oh she's so like she was such an eccentric like human you know what I mean like First of all, she had this, this piercing that was like right here. So her little third eye piercing, and I loved it. Um, she was also very black, and she was very. I think she would have had very similar issues to Aiden in the sense of like not being black enough. You know what I mean? But she owned that shit. Like she, you felt it. You know what I mean? Just in talking to her, like, and she 
And she leaned what into part, that side. What mm-hmm. part of, like, OVOV did you meet her at? Like, in a workshop? Or I met her, like, a yeah, it was in a workshop. Actually, um, you attended all of them, yeah, did you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so there was this one where we had to, like, run around the hotel, and, like, it was the Chelsea. We had to, like, run around and find things, you know, and take pictures with things or whatever. Hunt, and, or it was a... Yeah, treasure hunt treasure or something, hunt. yeah. But, um, it was in there, like, in one of the groups in there, and, um... And it was just amazing. She gave me, um, that was like, we got a lot of time to like be able to, you know, like meet each other and get to know each other. And like, she gave me these roses that to this day I have, I dried them up and kept them because I told her that I'd give them back to her when obviously when I got to see her again, but it never happened. But, um, but I still have all of them. And I think, um, that whole event was mainly beautiful because of her. Her and this other girl. And actually, I went to her funeral with that other girl that I met her with that was friends with her, too. And um, I'll never forget it. So now, every time when I hear that there's a, a conference, you know what I mean? Like, just because of her, there's no reason why I wouldn't attend. You know what I mean? Like, it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> I didn't get to know her that well. Um, I'll be honest, but... From what I did get to know of her and what I know of her brother, she was very, very, very awesome. Um, and, like, she seemed to, to be a very open person. Um, I was a very, I'm always and have been a very reserved person, so I tend to not go out and chat up people and get to know them very well. But um, I, So I didn't get to know her that well, but I could see the effect she had on people, and it was... It's pretty tremendous and having lost her I... yeah so the way, young, um her brother definitely saddening worded her death Wait. was the biggest thing he described she's not it. alive anymore no, no she passed yeah, that's what I'm, yeah her brother described it as her slipping through the cracks of a broken system um oh my god she passed 2018 um yeah she it was um like of her own doing but It's not even just passing away. It's slipping into dark territories. It's slipping into dark dark mental health spaces. Like, Mm -hmm. those things we don't talk about enough. And it's 
part of the reason why I'm so brutally honest with everybody I meet because yeah. like I will never see you know somebody who is, it drives me nuts. This is slipping like... through the cracks and like visibly slipping and not be like hey if you don't write your ship whether you can or you can't like here's some things that you could do to write your ship but if you can't write your ship you're gonna you're gonna sink mm-hmm. um you know like you can only be in choppy waters for so exactly. long before you get that one tilt that makes you makes the boat flip and it's like no one is on your side it's like you're fighting by yourself and no one is listening and you're here in a stranger's home which a lot of times or even group homes which a lot of times it feels like you're by yourself and you're battling constantly to be heard and just to get you know things that other kids get you're going to school with all these kids who go back home to their families mm. and it's like i remember this one time it was like uh uh, this bullying campaign at her school, grade 12, biology class, and this guy right next to me, we were talking about suicide. And he was like, yo, people who commit suicide are weak. And I got so triggered by that. I'm like, yo, that could not sound more like privilege to my ears mm-hmm. than anything else because I was constantly going back to a home where people were trying to commit suicide on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I was constantly viewed as like, the strong one and I wanted to be that strong one so other kids in care could see that you can be successful that's why like I'm constantly even when I'm not stable I'm not together I don't show it you know Mm -hmm. and I was that strong person for other people so when they needed somebody to you know take some of that weight off of them or those energy someone who they could trust because I was there with them they I could be that person for them if they needed it mm-hmm. and so when kids or like youth in the group homes would commit try to commit suicide I'm not gonna even like you know mm-hmm. sugarcoat it at all like there were youth who would take a bunch of sleeping pills and would like come to me be like I just took a bunch of sleeping pills and I'm planning on taking more and I'll be there I'll take it away from them and I'll sit down and just like dedicate my entire day to them you know, drop everything, all the homework that I was doing, and just be there for them. Another time, there was this one other youth who actually attempted, um, took, you know, a bunch of, you know, codeine, cough syrup, Tylenol, alcohol. He was committed. He was done. And found him, like, one of the youth, I will never forget this day, one of the youth came into my room and uh, came screaming, like, yo, so-and-so just tried to commit suicide. And because, like, we had a really deep connection at that time, they knew that I would be probably the one person who would really be able to save them or help. And so I, me and her uh, ran out of our group home, grabbed a bunch of bicycles, and started running up and down the street, screaming out his name, trying to look for him. We found him at the park with another youth from um, the other group home, because there was two of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had made him, like, throw up all the medications and pills. And, like, I understand the reason, and this is, like, a whole other story. But essentially, I'm just... Essentially, uh, I took him back home, and he was trembling. He was just not present. He was dissociating. He was probably going through psychosis and a bunch of stuff. Um, And, like, the ambulance came, and he was freaked out by the ambulance, and I did not sleep at all that night. And, like, I was constantly, you know, I remember sitting on, like, the the stairs with the police officers when they came. And they tried to talk me down. And um, was like, yo, don't worry. 
um, I don't even remember what the guy was saying, but he was trying to comfort me with what had just happened. All I could think about is, is he safe? And so um, as soon as it hit like six, seven o'clock in the morning, I grabbed some water bottles, some sweaters, and I was thinking about grabbing some pillows as well. I don't know why, but I just felt like he needed it. And I went to the hospital as soon as visitation opened um, and I saw him and it was just like a sight, you know, he was on like the little, you know, paramedic emergency beds because they don't really have real beds like in TV shows. They just have the things that you get pulled in and in the ambulance and that's what you sleep on. And the, he already had gone through the assessments. They like um, vacuumed out his stomach and um, I had just like brought him the water bottles and like, the sweater and everything. Like he was shivering. He was thirsty as crap. Um, he needed a pillow because there was no pillows. It was just like I was there, right? And no other staff was there for them, you know? It was me always being what they needed because nobody wanted to really step up to that plate and provide them with what they needed. What they need is real support, real consistency, not just counseling where it's just like, I help you for an hour. It's just like, this is like a commitment that you're trying to invest in these kids to get them to a more stable place because they've been so broken. That's the commitment in which you've tried to make that that you're essentially promising without promising and you didn't fulfill it you made it worse yeah no right? i um i have a few things to say on what you just said um one of them is i'll just start from like the soonest going back but um when you said when just as you're explaining all the things that you did for this youth i can't name one worker that gets paid to do that that would do yeah. that even half of that and i just think it's really messed up that the ones that are already suffering you know what i mean we and like obviously you're not caring about how it's taking an emotional or mental toll on you this person needs you needs yeah. somebody you know what i mean and if you can be there then you would be there like a decent human being you know what i mean and i just think um you're already going through your own stuff and it's just like why is it up to, like, why is it our, again, this all goes back to, like, the system stuff. But, yeah, why is it our, our, our responsibility, the ones that are suffering, to have to take care of each other? And it's not that we have to, but we have to. Nobody else will. You know what I mean? I can't take care of, like, Bob's not going to take care of you because Bob doesn't know what you're going through. I know exactly what you're going through, so I'm obviously going to take care of you, even though I'm struggling because I'm going through the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just think that that's awful. Second... The way you were talking about how a police, you, the police officer um, was, like, trying to talk you down and stuff, I was just thinking that, um, obviously, the police in itself is just damaged. But that, it's like, in the system, when you're, growing, when you're in foster care or group home care, you're kind of taught to get used to them. You know yeah. what I mean? They're kind of forcing, if anything happens, call them. Or if anything happens, do this. You know what I mean? They're forcing the police are good or are here to like on you or the they're here to protect type of thing on you you know what i mean mm -hmm. but they're also damaging you with them at the same time because they call those police for nothing the same police will be the reason why I, I still have cuff marks from i don't know how many times being arrested or detained you know what i mean yeah like i i have like here like i i still have them like this dark mark like i have them it's just you know what i mean but yet anytime something goes wrong they've conditioned you should call them, you know what I mean? And meanwhile, I'm from where I'm where I'm from, so that's not something they can condition me of. But like other youth, you know what I mean? Like it's just that's they're they're teaching you call the police. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, those police God. are gonna be the ones that traumatize you. 
They're going to be the ones that mess you up. And I just, it just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Defund the police. Mm, yeah, fully. I mean, no. Aiden's, yeah, see? <laughs> no. Anyways, no. I think Not abolish the police, but take Defund away... Defund the police fully means abolish the police. I, I know. <laughs> like, for the ones who say abolish the police, I don't agree with. I'm going to be so real. But the idea of prioritizing, you know, sending paramedics or uh, mental health crisis, people who deal with crisis situations for mental health should take a lot more responsibility over that kind of situation than police. I agree with. I There's think so that many... you should just train police properly. I think that there's so many other people. But it's just like that power dynamic. We're uh, having some problems with the camera here. What's wrong? If I'm not in the shot, don't worry about it. I have my face all the time anyways. (laughs) I don't know what it's doing. Has it been recording though? It's it's overheating again. It recorded right up until I started doing this. Because there was the countdown and there was like another minute on it and I wanted to let you guys finish that conversation. Yep. Then another countdown showed up and it was like LV. Should we take a break? I'm just like, ah, there's something up. Should we yeah. take a break? Do you guys want to take a break? Does that door know. open? Um, yes. Can I go have a cigarette? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, um, so we can just move these, the table oh, maybe. Oh, this is a little bit forward. Just joking. Of this? Okay. Well, I don't know what you're saying. I, I was, I was listening, USB? but only like half. Uh, no, I'm just going to save uh, the recording that we have now. Okay. I was going to eat weed. Doesn't let me sit down. To talk standing up on the podcast. Okay, so uh, everyone try not to be too racist. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm black. I can't be racist. Stop. You're one. You're black one day. You're not black the second day. Welcome to my life. <laughs> I'm black one day, and then somebody, some oh, white kid tells me that I'm white. Should I like, uh, move it? like ideally, you'd be speaking through the uh, mesh. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't watch enough Joe Rogan. You can move it a little bit closer to so your like, face. Because so like ideally, on one video and the next video, it's, just like <laughs> it's almost like he's actually yeah. a comedian. Like he so, has a base level of intelligence, and he's just gonna talk. When it comes to like a microphone, just a couple of techniques, super quickly. Just a couple of techniques. I really do like how you've been holding, keeping it close to your mouth. It is a dynamic mic, so it has like um, it intakes input from typically one direction, but it can pick up background noises as we've tried. Um, but ideally, you want to try and have like the vocal of it um, more She's centered and closer to your face. Anyways, yeah. So you want to try and have it close. Uh, the closer, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it will just have like a better sound, um, when it's, uh, played back, but. Yeah, and yeah. he told me my voice is a little quiet, so keep it low. Super. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> so typically, like, try with, like, three fingers, but quite frankly, this distance is good. Um, yeah, th- this distance is good, so you're good. Okay, yeah. <sighs> yeah, yeah, play cats. <laughs> All right. So let's see. I I don't even remember where we left off. I know exactly where we left off because I was about to speak. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to continue off from where we were? Yeah. So um, we were talking about uh, suicide being viewed as uh, people with suicidality or um, suicidal uh, complexes being considered weak um, because they broke. I believe that 
for a long time up until I would say grade nine or ten. Um, and then my view about that switched from it's weak to it requires durability to keep it to stand in this world. So I don't like look at it from a strength or weakness context because mm-hmm. you can be super strong and be fragile. It's all hell. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's some people who are super strong and then like you ask them to do something and they twist their back in the wrong way and then they snap a disc in their back and then they then all the strength in the world won't save them. Yeah. Right. So it's it's uh it's a different type of strength being durable. So yeah, um, resilience. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a thing that we get told all the time. We're resilient. We're durable. You can mm-hmm. walk it, walk and walk and walk and walk and not not fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for a long time, because I'd had, grew up with white people in my life. I grew up with white kids as my best friends. And like, I'd hear complaints and complaints and complaints. I'm like, your life isn't even half as bad as the war, as the easiest parts of my life. And you're bitching, moaning, complaining, talk about suicide over this. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not. <laughs> well, the way I like to look at it, or a couple of things. I always like make a list on when you guys talk, but, um. First of all, I feel like on the whole part of like my viewpoints changed since then. Being um, <laughs> proud of you. Let's not let's yeah, not paint me out like I think that suicide but, um, people commit suicide or no, of course not. Yeah. But like um, I think that has a lot to do just like with being black. You know what I mean? Like they, I think I'm. I think not me, but like we're expected to um to not get to that breaking point. Yeah. You know, we're expected. Like mental health is not talked about within mm-hmm. our culture. And where even if, even if it is like we're literally just expected to deal with it. You know what I mean? Like it's if you do have mental health issues, just expected to leave, keep that to yourself, and buck up. You know what I mean? And I um I feel like when it does come to situations like um especially black youth in the system or in just in any system, I think um that's one why it's not talked about, and two why it's looked down upon or considered weak or whatever. Because um, literally, like we're just black, like giving birth. Well, we have like fifty I, other problems, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're bl- when you're dealing with so much, mm-hmm. you're not gonna look and be like, "Hey, your mental health, make yeah. sure you check that out." Mm-hmm. And like the studies mm-hmm. and and stuff uh, like that, mental health yeah. is an evolving concept. Like it's not always been there. Like we've always known that people can go crazy, be crazy, and stuff like that, but. Um, the idea of it's changing. Well, even caring about it's changing. I think that um, it the difference a lot of the time is poverty, right? Like, if you're impoverished, you're more likely to go through those negative stresses. Uh, the same, you go through the same amount as everybody else, but you're more likely to just shrug them off because you got shit to do. Yeah. You got to wake up and go to work to get the bread that you're going to feed yourself with tonight. It's, there's no excess. There's no time to waste. There's no, you can't stop focusing. Because as soon as you do, that pathway that you're paving as, as you walk stops too. And if you keep walking while not paving it, you finna slip and fall into nothing. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so you focus on what you can and you ignore what you can't focus on, what you can't afford to focus on. And that's why... It's viewed oftentimes to black people as a luxury because the greater majority of black people are impoverished or low class. And when you have an issue like that, 
and then you compare it to impoverished white people or white people in general, most white people at some point weren't impoverished, right? Like the majority of white people aren't impoverished. And so even though you might have a white person who is in poverty now, like my mom came from a family that was not in poverty, but low to middle class. They both their parents worked hard and they made some money. And then when she moved to Canada, because she's an immigrant, um, she became impoverished by the fact that she got uh, divorced, right? So like now, now that's a whole new world for her to explore. And so mental health, granted, Irish immigrant, old Irish people didn't really care about mental health. Um, but mental health is a whole new field that or uh, is a field that might have already been explored in the time of people who have access like we look at therapy as a white people thing my whole life as growing up they go oh you go to therapy go to therapy i'm like nah that's for that's for i viewed it and i went that's for bitches excuse my language uh that's for weak people is how i viewed it and then i also viewed it as like nah that's something that white people do like Mm -hmm. that's something that's something that other people do that's not me um and so like those that mindset changed for me like i had a couple of friends try since then there's been tons of mental health issues that i've done dealt with for my friends and tried to help them get back on track and stuff like that and obviously being a kid in care and knowing a bunch of kids in care everybody's got ptsd and trauma and stuff like that in their background so helping them and being there for them supporting them is a whole another step right like even learning how to you know use the right pronouns was a big leap for me and when king was there with the whole walkthrough for that one tripped up a couple of times i'm not gonna lie it took me a while but like the reason king and i still have a good relationship is because i was able to learn and and figure those things out the same way i was able to learn and go yeah you know what it's not a matter of strength it's not a matter of just pushing through it's a matter of how long can you keep doing it yeah how long can you walk with that monkey on your back exactly Mm. oh for sure and like sometimes that's the thing that you know it's not (coughs) talked about is that if when you don't take care of one of the biggest pressing issues it will show up in your life in a different way whether it's like physical ailment of some kind or permanent you know mental disabilities like you know paranoia schizophrenia or something like that that's what happened to my mom essentially because she was constantly going through so much stress on a regular basis and never got the care for it. She is now permanently suffering and it's too late for her. And that's what a lot of people don't talk about and don't realize that that, that's what needs to change. We do have to address these issues. We do have to be able to take care of ourselves because when it comes to a point where we can't, well then, you know, do you, who do you have in your circle that will, you know take over for you kind of thing nobody that's the i'm individual but um or i'm i'm independent that's like my big thing is like if i do if but somebody's not when running my, are you not if someone's running thing. my life it's me running my life but the, here's the thing you know and i used to have the same mentality until i wasn't able to carry myself up anymore you know it came to the point where i was you know question i, I wasn't even questioned i was certain that this world didn't deserve me you know, because I was pushing, I was supporting, I was being good, right? But I was still being spat on, basically disrespected. And so, you know, and th- there weren't even small things. It was large traumas 
happening to me over and over again and I was just expected to deal with it and it just took one more for me to be like I don't have the strength anymore I don't have the mental capacity I've been doing this for so long and I have no one in my circle um Mitch I need the mouse again uh you know what there's like 50 seconds on the video anyways so I'll just uh pause it I'm going to pause my point for a second. I have a point on your point. Once yeah. you're done. Hi, we're live. We're good? Okay. So my thing was, I was constantly scared of being able to really trust anybody with my vulnerability. And so when it came to a point where I can no longer care for myself... Um, I could no longer be strong anymore to have that fear of like having someone in your circle who is now able to take over that power for you and be like, you don't have to be strong anymore. Let me take care of you. Okay. You just heal. I will now be your power. I will now take over that pain, take it away from you. And, um, once it comes to somebody who's now your, your glass is broken, right? It's just cracked. You need somebody else to put together those pieces. And for me, that was my brother. He came and he like saved me. And he said, I love you unconditionally. You don't have to be strong anymore. And I needed that so desperately, you know? Oh God, I love you, Adrian. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so that's what my fear was that yes, I'm independent. Without question, I don't like to rely on anybody. But it comes to a point, even if it's temporary for me, quite frankly, it was only two weeks in which I needed somebody to take over, right? And then I was able to have enough energy to kind of just push through the trauma on my own and survive. It was just like that survival was like, for me, I couldn't survive on my own. I needed somebody to, you know, allow me to survive, you know? So, yeah. To me, that's the purpose of family, right? Like, and granted, we don't always have that option. I'm blessed with the fact that I do have that option. I've always been blessed with that. Um, not with every single one of my family members, but I have a mother who will move heaven and earth if mm -hmm. I need her to, and I have foster parents who do the damn same. So, I mean, I've always been thankful for that. Um, but it's, I think, 16, I learned that dehydration affects your mental state. Mm -hmm. I learned that when I was 16. I don't know why I learned that when I was 16. I watched Avatar. I saw cactus juice being drank and somebody getting all loopy on it. Um, <laughs> but I, I learned that dehydration affects your mental state. And the simple fact that an imbalance in water in the human body could affect your mental, your ability to rationally think your ability to perceive things, your ability to move, your ability to continue struggling if you need to, just a liter of water could impair you so much. Mm -hmm. And like, that's when but I went- It couldn't save you. You know, water can't save you from being on the streets homeless in the middle of the No, winter. it can't. But here's the thing, right? Like that taught me that your body and mind aren't separate. Your body, your mind, your spirit, all of that stuff, that all of that's one. Like, all of that. 
So when you're, and it's to your point earlier where it's like, you know, if you push something away, if you don't balance, then something's going to break or something's going to come up later on and it's going to be twice as worse, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so if you're not balancing the fact that you have mental health issues that you have to deal with or if you're not recognizing, you know, what's going on that's causing you great stress, it's going to manifest itself somewhere else. It's because if you, like, if I don't, you know, if, when I don't eat healthy, I feel like garbage. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Um, what my biggest issue was, was that I couldn't have control over my situation, you know? So when it comes to a point that, yes, you could drink water, you could feed yourself. Oh my God, I was so surprised of how amazing food was and how life-changing it was to actually make you, um, have more energy and shit like that one time first year university. But, um... It was just like, for me, when it comes to, and this goes for a lot of kids in care as well, your lack of control over a situation really can have a huge impact in which it can affect your body, your mind, and your your spirit, right? So your lack of food intake because of your foster parents or your foster home, because they are the ones that control the food, your lack of control over mental health because of the traumas that's constantly being put onto you mm-hmm. is kind of just like, at one point, when you don't take care of your mental health, yeah, that's one thing, but how are you able to take care of your mental health when you're constantly being surrounded by more and more input of trauma into your life? And that's, well, and that's my point, is, is, is it's like, it's to your point, right? Like, it's, I, when I learned it, the way I learned it was um, that, if like I to me it felt like your mind and your body are connected by your spirit right so like if you are feeling nuts you're gonna feel disheartened and then you're gonna feel it physically you're gonna be exhausted you're gonna be waking up and feeling like what the heck is going on why do I feel so off Mm -hmm. you can't put a name on it Mm -hmm. you can't describe if you went to the doctor they'd say you're fine physically you're in perfect health right like there's that. You could also end up getting sick just from mental stress. Yeah. You Like, there's ways that it could actually affect you far more physically, but even just, like, you're having a bad day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel like you can't do something that day. It's a feeling. It's not physical, right? Mm-hmm. You, you get this sense, mm-hmm. and that's where I say it's, like, it comes from a, yeah. a connection between something that's metaphysical and then a thing that's physical and a thing that's mental. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I remember, and I'll let you, like, yeah, get put in your input, is, like, this one guy said that you could just make yourself happy. Like, you could just smile and feel, make yourself feel good right now. And and when he, and that was, like, the whole idea of, like, his point behind, you know, um, for those who are suicidal are weak. I'm um, like, that's kind of just, like, so you could just make yourself happy when you're just constantly being surrounded by negativity and trauma. You're boy you don't know people <laughs> you know well, it's how long can you make yourself that's the durability exactly. factors how long can you put on that face how yeah. long can you walk with your mask yeah mm-hmm. um i was just um i need like a pen and paper because i i genuinely like my memory is like unfortunately very very awful um sorry i gotta change the battery on the camera okay <laughs> 
Okay. Well. So now you can get your pen and yeah, paper. Yeah, yeah. Like you can like type mm-hmm. it in your phone and stuff. Could I just because it looks a little better than writing okay. typing on my phone? And also, like, I kind of want to get like some of the knackers out of it. Stuff out of it, yeah. <laughs> oh, my bad. Yeah, my my phone's just out here chilling in the shot. No, it's okay. Um, so I'm gonna start off with you next, and um, I guess we're gonna continue on with like this whole uh, whatever uh, with the point that you had was. I know I'm going all the way back to when you guys are talking about who your support people were. Like I, I'm still trying to like get that. In. My point there was more like like even something as small as like I need to drink 750 milliliters of water, is something that can change your whole mental state. So it can change your whole. Exactly. So it's like if you can if you compare it down if you pare it down to something so small as I'm dehydrated and you know you're dehydrated because it's 750 milliliters of water or 500 milliliters of water. Right? Like, imagine it's something you can't identify. Something that's mental that you never were experiencing before. Contact something. Yes. Yeah. Some level of extensive duress or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it changes everything, it really, my opinion. Like, changes. And then, like, it changes, like, the way your brain functions when you're an adult. But, like, even more than that, when you're a child, it changes the way your brain grows. Like, there are, like, physical signatures in the limbic system. And, like, the things to, like, uh, that's why fathers are so important absolutely the whole family unit oh i want to touch briefly on that so the next few points whatever will be like um this then family unit and then we'll probably finish off like on ovlb or something so uh here's something you know you guys are ready yeah I'm ready when King's ready. Yeah, me too. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to remember. Oh, t- no, take as much time. Yeah, no, take your time. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I'm not going to remember it. It's okay. Okay, we can go. <laughs> well, then I'll ask you a question. Oh, I remember. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. If you remember, um, go for it. Well, it was just the, um, the support person... Um, like question, are we able to like, stop this? Wait, just like quickly? Okay. Like, are we able to just stop yeah. the video? Please. Okay. Pause Thank you. Yeah. Like, I'm just getting so anxious. Um. So like the support person. So we were talking about having somebody to kind of like take over mm-hmm. that, you know, that trauma or that pain when they you need them to. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I had my brother was able to do that for me for me i don't, I don't and we also talked about independence have, yeah typically i don't have somebody but like i got sick once and i needed my mom to come cook for me for like three days four days before mm-hmm. i could get back on my own feet mm-hmm. yeah so independence thinking that you always need yourself but when you hit that breaking point yeah yeah okay <laughs> mitchell we're ready Oh, it's, okay. Um, sorry. Just take, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just the, um, the, um, I super apologize. I was just no. kidding. So, so like, right now. question. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about, like, this whole idea 
because like we were kids in care right mm-hmm. and you know the whole point of the foster care system was to be able to provide them with a more stable family mm-hmm. and so technically you know there's a lot of people who was talking about in the black community where a lot of people only have one mother father is not typically in the home and that really does change the whole dynamic of how they it looks like for them to grow up mm-hmm. like what is your opinion on technically having almost like two fraud parents like two well, um, attempts of an appearance and how will that affect your growth well, like temporary parents let's call it that mm-hmm. yeah no i that was literally one of the main reasons why i couldn't handle foster homes um, yeah it was too too personal in my mind if i was going to be in the system and i'm going to be in the situation i don't want random people trying to fill in for people that like you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't I don't want this person being like, hey, I'm your mom now. You know what I mean? Or, exactly. Like, I don't want somebody being like, oh, that's your foster mom, and they don't even know my last name without looking at a piece of paper. You know what exactly. I mean? Um, and so that was, like, I just, it, it's a little, um, it, that causes me more issues. That draws me further away. Like, in a group home, I feel like I was able to, I would have at least the opportunity, the mental opportunity to connect with staff and stuff. Because I felt like it was more possible. I didn't feel like the staff were, like, forcing me into a relationship. I feel like if I wanted that relationship with that staff member, I could have that relationship, you know? And then um, earlier, I'm just writing stuff down that I remembered from earlier. Um, Earlier, way, way back, when Aiden was talking about male mentor. um, So I, that is a huge thing. And I just want to bring up my transness because I'm disgustingly gay about it. But, um, like, I... It was so difficult because any time there was anything going on, immediately they, especially living in a co-ed group home, like, they you they would have a, a female staff just given to you, you know what I mean? Just immediately because they imagine you want a female, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think one of the biggest problems was I was never provided with even the opportunity to have a male mentor, you know what I mean? Mm. Let alone black, but a male mentor because I was just female body, you know what I mean? So um, in the group homes, and a a lot of, most of the staff in group homes, especially co-ed ones, are female anyways. So um, there's probably a lot of cis guys that deal with that same problem, but as a trans person, especially not having a father involved, you know what I mean, or a decent one, like I needed that. That that was, like, everything that I needed. And um, especially a black one at that, I finally got a black mentor yeah. um, through CAS because we have this this collective impact thing that's been going on. And I got a that mentor. That was a hard push in and of itself. Man. Yeah, you won't believe what happened. Anyways, um, yeah, so I got a mentor through that program, and which is amazing, and I was so happy. And there was, she's black. She has experience, experience with um, single parents and... It, that was like a big thing to me and again I needed that connection and this mentor wasn't specified as a mentor this could be is a lifelong partnership yeah. literally that's the way they phrased it so um so like I was excited to have that friend in her you know what I mean yeah and then I got offered this opportunity that I won't go too in detail with but that's what also gave me the opportunity to have a scholarship and all that stuff um 
But then I got offered this opportunity, and unfortunately, my mentor works for this program. So then my mentor could no longer be my mentor. I even had to call her on a different number. I couldn't even text her the way I used to. I couldn't call her the time that I used to because now everything, and now she has to send me, like, emails after we talk with follow-up and da-da-da. And it's like I had one opportunity at, like, a black friend. That's the way I looked at it. You know what I I mean? I love that so much. And she was so close to me. Like, she lived right beside me. So now this program that I literally helped create with them, I had the perfect mentor, and it got pulled away from me like nothing. I would love to actually bring up and plug in – a program that's actually being, um, I guess, um, started or we're kind of in like the uh, in the next phases. It's called Cheers Mentorship Program in Toronto, and it's literally what you're asking for: being able to have male, female, black mentors. Cheers is not run by Joy. No, it's it was run by Anaya, but um, yeah. the yeah, it has Anaya was actually at the OVOV, and um, that's where I met her. Yeah, and I. Yeah. And now we have, like, a new leadership. Um, her name is Tamala. And right now, we've just finished, like, our training for this summer. And we're now going over to almost, like, um, finding those matches. Like, looking for mentees. We're looking for that mentorship mm-hmm. and providing it for them. So there's, it's great because, like, exactly what you're asking for is an absolute need. And it was recognized. Mm-hmm. And now there's something being put in place. So it's just a matter of, like, not a lot of people know about it just yet. But that is something that has huge potential. And it's and something I know it's the agency knows about because we had them w- meet with us at um, CWAC conferences and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. they're aware, like, yeah. that this is a program. This is definitely so something that can that, be used. Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to. Um, yeah. That's why I feel like um, when you guys talking about this, the support person, I... Like, I, I feel like that's also why I wanted that so desperately, you know yeah. what I mean? Because I, I don't find I ever had anyone, like, like my mom or brother or any of that, just because my family's just crappy, you know, all together. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, my family's not crappy. I love them. But we were just very dysfunctional. I'm considering the fact of where this video is going to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she ju- he just remembered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is going up on yeah, all this platforms. this is not a personal conversation. <laughs> um, anyways, but, so, um, yeah. but no, um, so I just didn't have that support. And I think I f- that I was so helpless without that support for so long. Yeah. And then when I had my baby, I it's kind of like he was my support in a sense. Like, I'm not yeah. expecting him to help me. You know what I mean? He can barely talk or move by himself. But, but like, his, like, being alive. But his, yeah. his need forces you to be responsible. Yeah, his need for my support feels supportive. I feel... Like I was saying before we started this like conversation. It's like this commitment to each other. Yeah, like I had an issue finding my reason for living. You know yeah. what I mean? My reason for living, back to the whole suicidal ideation stuff, like I, there was no reason. Even my, my, I was not a good enough reason to be alive. You know what I mean? And I would always have to use other people. And then other people would do me wrong. And then they're not a reason anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? So oh, then, so you then, just touched like, on such a really big thing for I'm so many people. You. So, yeah. um... My baby will always be a reason no matter what he does. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think I needed that reason to exist. And that's the whole thing with, like, mentorship that I really want to push with any kind of program that wants to do mentorship. The, the, 
biggest thing that really lacks within the foster care system is that consistency, mm-hmm. that consistent support, right? Being there when they need you and um, and not only there to just be, like, you know, present or, you know, like, based off of different situations kind of determines what that relationship with the mentorship will really look like. Mm-hmm. If they're really able to be there in a time of need, that will ultimately change the entire relationship you build a lot more trust you know that you could fall back on that person you know that you could open up to that person and that is huge for so many kids in care because we don't trust nobody yeah. like, like a lot of us don't trust like anybody because nobody's mm-hmm. given us a reason to nobody stayed around long enough mm-hmm. to be able to earn our trust that's what I was about nobody to say, the has piece. exactly like, the this is the biggest reason why i fought with the people at ovo i was exactly. just about to say yeah consistency is so important that's what we spoke to about our to our our mentors like because we yeah. had to pick our mentors you know they and told like, us no not black people and i was like <laughs> then i'm not coming because my mentor is white and he's the person who makes me feel comfortable yeah. doing all this exactly um, but the people like they um what is it they were just telling we were talking to the mentors basically about how um like youth are gonna push you away you know what i mean we can't trust nobody we have no one to trust everyone that we could trust have done us wrong yeah. so be prepared for these youth that you're about to mentor to push you away because that's how they're going to test you. They need somebody that they can literally, like, piss off, you know what I mean, and make you never want to talk to them again, but, but somehow you still... you still stay there. Yeah, that's what we need in that mentorship. <laughs> so I completely agree with you I when you say we this. had no one. They need we to need to know this. that somebody won't break. Exactly. No matter how we're, like, we're going to break. We're going to break, and <laughs> so, when we break, can we rely on you kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know? Exactly. Ah. That is, like, the touch of endurance mm-hmm. for, like, oh God. That's why <laughs> That's I say powerful, all of this mental stuff, all of this health stuff, You know what's really? it's all durability. And mm-hmm. you know what's really interesting? A lot of these things, I swear, we've spoken about year after year after year. They mm-hmm. know what we need, but you. they just don't listen. Grab them by the neck. It's in the mind. They don't listen. And that is why... Personally, and I'm gonna look into the camera while saying this. That is why <laughs> we need these policymakers. We need these decision makers. We need these board members. Your extra. We need these board members, policymakers, members of the ministry. If they are ready. For real change, they need to sit down and we need to develop an action plan. Because, like, for too long we've been talking, but you haven't spoken with us for the longest time. You haven't spoken to us, but we've been talking just to have the conversation and nothing gets done. We've talked too much. We are now presenting you guys all the information that you need, right? We will give you everything. You just need to be able to put it in to fruition right and that's what we are actually going to be here us leaders us youth advocates that's what we're going to help you do you just need to commit and so and we always it's really have. not that hard too like i don't want to yell <laughs> but like it's not it's that not hard we're telling you what to do we're showing you what to do yeah. we're giving you the tools to do what you need right. to do 
All you have to just do, is do, do it. it. Like, do it. And we know exactly who we need to target because we've now that I've started to go through the system and understand who makes the final decision, mm-hmm. it's the politicians. It's always been. So, politicians. <laughs> I just want to know, this has always been my biggest question ever since I've been in care. Ever since I started advocating, I've always wanted to know, why in the Lord's name is children's lives a partisan issue? Mm. A partisan Why is it fought over? A party like issue. conservatives are going to do it basically. one way. Yeah. No, NDP are going to do it another. Yeah. And liberals are going to do it another. Why the hell do I need to care about what alignment the government feels like it is today? Mm-hmm. Or people feel like is needed today. And that goes for, for my life to be able to at least be successful so, by my choice. Let's get down okay. to the facts now super quickly. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And what Jane Korvakova is currently doing with the CW PAC, Child Welfare Political Action Committee, is that this whole issue, especially when it comes to education, you know, it is a partisan issue. It changes based off of which party is in office. And so what she's trying to do currently is go through the schools, so post-secondary schools, to initiate tuition waivers. So I personally go to Mac, <clears throat> and so Mac, I would love, honestly, it would just be life-changing to be able to know that regardless of how old we are, regardless of when we are ready to actually be able to go to school once we've done the necessary work to overcome our traumas, to be able to have that access through being able to just have the tuitions taking care of us, you know, just have the schools take care of us. Because to be honest, post-secondary was the first time that I've actually seen structure. It was the first time in which I felt safe and home, saw consistency. It was unbelievable. My counselor at McMaster, my doctor, my psychiatrist, they cared. Yeah, I didn't do the res. Yeah, technically, I still do. Right now. <laughs> she on yeah. right now. We're in off-campus housing. Don't come find me. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Don't come find me. <laughs> oh, please. Um, but, like, you know, the, it changed my life so much because I saw structure. And, you know, that's another really big issue that's, like, a determinant factor for a lot of kids in care is that post-secondary. Barely anybody graduates from high school, let alone post-secondary. And it's structure you choose. Yeah. It's structure you choose. We do have you to choose You get it. to choose your schedule. You get to choose what time you go to classes. Yeah. You get to choose. You have to make the commitment to we you. We have the control. To go to your class because yeah. you uh, want the yes. education for oh. you. Exactly. And it's so much more liberating than when I went to high school. And, like, I missed zero days of high school mm. with the exception of court dates uh, and with the exception of one time I tried to pull Mount to Halt Day on my foster parents, they yeah. did not have that. <laughs> <laughs> they were not about it. They didn't yeah, believe it. Funny. I was mad furious. I was having the worst <laughs> day of my life. It was also in grade 13. Um, it was I took a lap year. Um, it, was, it was in grade 13. I was having a horrible day. I had had a fight with my girlfriend before, and it was, like, really bogging me down mentally. Wasn't feeling great. Didn't want to go to school. Mm-hmm. I I didn't go to school, but they were mad furious about about it about me with, or with me about it. So um, and like I went to school every day, and the days that I was at school, ninety five percent of the time I wasn't caring. I was smart enough to get through school without really needing to do much work. I was 
talented enough with talking that I could make teachers give me longer periods of time to finish something mm-hmm. if I didn't feel like doing it. I procrastinated the day that I procrastinated to all, all the lengths I could. I just pushed it. Mm-hmm. I got to college. That didn't fly. Yeah. Granted, I was able to sweet talk, sweet talk some teachers into giving me a day. But then in that day, I had to get it done. And I did. I always mm-hmm. did. But yeah. it was a whole different scenario. What were you going to say? Um, um, I'm sorry. I keep on bringing up stuff from past conversations. But um, very quickly, the whole control thing. Like, um, being care, you obviously have such very little control. And I think that was... The biggest, that's the biggest thing that was responsible, I mean, besides myself, for me, um, starting the drugs I started, honestly. Um, like, I, I was just so, like, insistent on having control of something, you know what I mean? Just of something, and, um, what do you call it? Yeah, of just literally anything, and... I, with drugs, I the way I looked at it was I could have control of my body at least. Yeah. At least I had control over my body. At least I had control over when I was being productive yeah. because I'm overly active right now. You know what I mean? Or something <laughs> like that. Um, anyway, so I just feel like that control thing, not having that control can lead to way much more significant issues like mm-hmm. for, further in life, mm-hmm. especially like substance use. Also, um, I'm not going to say the actual name of the program because I don't know if I'm allowed to, but um, there's a program, the one that I had recently been part of because of the, um, because of the, what do you call it? Um, because of the, the mentor. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so this, this program is, it has a lot to do with what you were talking about on the, the post-secondary piece of um, having that control so mm-hmm. this program is helps by giving you the scholarship you know yeah. to to do that post-secondary piece and focus on the stabilization of your mental health and yeah. academic upgrading and all that stuff yeah. but the big thing that I loved about about it was the accountability yeah. so the thing is is being in care you have to be on a schedule right you have to do this you have to do that you have to wake up you have to go to school you have to do all this stuff right and then I went from being in care like straight up like group home homeless like I got kicked out of the group home because my chronic illness yeah and then and that was when I was 18 so I was homeless literally up until the age of 18 and like recently and I mean like majority of it was like on the street homeless so Mm -hmm. um I had no structural you know nothing if I wanted to sit on the street and do drugs I could if I wanted Mm -hmm. you know but the thing about this program is they give you a rent subsidy and um and mind you I'm not taking advantage of it this time just because I'm not in Holton but they give you a rent subsidy, and that rent subsidy is based off of um, you attending post-secondary. I'm going to stop right there. Yeah. Yeah, so the deal basically is you go to school, and they pay your rent. Mm-hmm. And they pay your rent, so then, um, well, not your rent, but, you know, they pay, like, that portion. Um, just so you can't say that you didn't follow through with school because you had to work. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They You can't say that type of thing. And... The situation seems a little, uh, like, harsh in a yeah, sense. Yeah, that's a lot but of pressure. The thing is, is I've been homeless for so long, and I'm never risking that again. You know yeah. what I mean? And I need, and I'm the what I'm a, a, 
uh, um, sorry, what I am currently a part of um, only helps me be housed because it's for the chronically homeless. So mm-hmm. that that's the point. I need progression. I need mm-hmm. to go somewhere. And this program is going to help me do that. And if my subsidy is on the line, my housing is on the line, I would never risk that. Yeah. And I have to go to school. It, it's like it's that structural that that structure that I've been craving. Yeah. The fact that I have to get up in the morning to go to school whether I like it or not. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's Sometimes literally... Need a reason. Yeah. Like, that's I what I'm saying. Exactly. And that's what I love so much about my master. It gave me purpose. And I felt so home. The campus is so beautiful. I would love to show you guys that's the campus That's what I was asking if you lived on... Like, if you lived... Like, on campus? Yeah. I did first year. But not on campus, but if you were, like... In res, so basically, I was in res. Like, no one can and the experience is something completely different. The frosh week, welcome week, it's just like I was so happy for like one week, <laughs> and it was just like uh, I don't even know. That's why, like you know, you know, after all of that, you know, the, the thing is with me, I was coming straight out of a group home and going into that. I was coming straight out of mass amount of trauma, and I tried doing, like, a deep-ass cleanse a month before, be like, cleanse me off all this negativity. <laughs> you know, I don't want this to be, this is a new chapter. I want nothing to follow me into this new chapter. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Trauma doesn't just leave you. And so, throughout my experience with post-secondary, I've been battling so much with mental health, with my PTSD, with, like, not being able to focus, with, like, constantly falling asleep into class, with, like, you know, just being depressed and having anxiety, and then I finally got medication, and it's just, like, you know, it's going to take me so much longer to complete my degree. I'm going to be real, and I would just need, I I need that support for my school to understand that I'm going to be taking breaks probably gonna take a year off here like I sliced my leg open first year mm-hmm. you know damaged two nerves because like that is a story that you're gonna have to do like tune in for like a different episode but um you know like at that because of that I had to you signed um, yourself up for like eight more episodes of this like, <laughs> at least yeah. <laughs> yeah um and that's why like I had to take a year off right my first year sliced it open right and it was just like you know, I I don't want to not finish because I'm home, you know? I don't want to leave that. And so, yeah, I still need to work, but I'm going to need so much support because I'm dealing with a tremendous amount of trauma. And why do you think that barely anybody finishes post-secondary? You have to, like, kind of take that pressure off of us a little bit and allow us to just focus. We can't just be like, okay, that's great that we got this scholarship now, these grants, and we have our housing paid for, but now there's so much pressure on us to succeed, and I'm not fully sure if, like, you know, I'm just going to, you know, complete everything off of the the first attempt attempt you know and so I think you know that's something that a lot of post-secondary schools is going to have to like understand about that when it comes to kids in foster care we're coming straight out of trauma Mm -hmm. you know for real I mean my biggest thing with post-secondary is it was the first time I felt like I wasn't behind anymore um like I hated doing my so yeah my favorite thing about school was when I went to I went to Mohawk College I'm currently wearing a shirt that says Mohawk for that reason. Um, I went to Mohawk College and I didn't feel the same sense of community that you guys got or that you got to feel. 
True. But I also didn't live on residence. I also didn't go to Frosh Week. I also didn't different. do any of that stuff because it does change the I game. I don't party. <laughs> I don't. I've always been my no- keep my nose clean, keep my head down, get the work done, and call it a day, and nobody's gonna bother me. Um, but once I got into school and started making friends, the biggest thing, the thing that was chewing away at me, the thing that gave me a chip on my shoulder was that I was doing this after everybody did. My girlfriend had gone to school as soon as she, as soon as she graduated. My best friends had gone to school as soon as they graduated. I'm living with my best friend right now and he's finishing year three or four of his program and he's got two more years. Uh, but he took a super long program. He wants to be a biochemist. That guy's unbelievably intelligent. Don't get me started. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like I was behind. I took a la- I took a lap year. I took yeah. a year to go become an electrician. That didn't work out. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I lost confidence in my ability to be intelligent. I could have applied out of high school to get into Laurier, which is where I'm headed now, or Waterloo, which is where I'm headed now, um, for psychology. And I didn't. I could have done it for law, and I didn't. Um, And so I didn't trust that I was ready for that uh, or that I was mature enough for that, and maybe I wasn't. But once I got into school, the issue was I felt like I was way behind everybody. Yeah. I felt like everybody else here has got two years extra to spend, two years, and et cetera, et cetera. And then once I I made friends, I was like, three of my friends were 21, and I was 19. I was like... There's people who are like me here. There's people who are mm. still trying to get on track, still trying to get ahead, still trying to move forward, even though they were off for yeah. a couple of years. And so I didn't even look at it from like the foster care aspect. I just looked at it purely from the aspect of like, man, I didn't start when everybody else started and I was I'm still able to catch up. Like, exactly. And so granted I also knew a lot of my fr- I also had a lot of friends who are not as intelligent as I am. Uh, granted, they were a little bit uh, further away from me. But I was like, how can these people who I know mm-hmm. I am smarter than or I am capable or more capable than go to university and, you know, get ahead and start their lives and I can't even trust myself to go do it. And yeah. so... And that leads back to, like, that whole mentorship thing. Like, one thing overwhelming I've heard from, you know, um, a lot of, I guess, you know, professionals, elders. Um, My guidance counselor said this. Tammy Wang, who actually was just, like, a guest speaker that came to our uh, residence right now. Um, She works for the city of Hamilton. And is that we cannot put, like... milestones like strict milestones on our timeline when we can't have con- full control over a situation all the time you know and my guidance counselor when i wanted to take a year off was like how is this going to affect you five years from now when you have a degree will it matter how long it took you as long as you have it so as, as long as you put in that effort you know the timeline in which society tells you you should have it done by shouldn't matter and that's like the whole anxiety and the fear that makes us feel inadequate is like because we feel like we're falling behind, but at the same time we were already behind to begin with. We were put into the situation that supposedly is supposed to put us behind, and and you know it's kind of just like we're good. We don't have to fixate on time all the time. We're mm-hmm. young, we're healthy, we're alive. Mm-hmm. Whatever we want, we just should focus on like we have a goal. If you have a goal, 
accomplish that goal. It doesn't matter how long you take it. It takes you. Just work towards it, right? And then you'll have some kind of purpose or fulfillment in your life, you know? And so, and um, I want to kind of, like, move off onto the next topic super quickly that I want to finish off on, unless you guys had, like, any points that you want to put in. Uh, well, I was just going to say, like, I've, I've always felt, like, we, with the agency, we always do stuff with, um, like, post-secondary, uh, like, just, just t- they usually have conversations about um, stuff with post-secondary or grants and all this stuff, and I... Mm-hmm. I'm always the one sitting there confused. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm always the one sitting there like, oh, I don't have to be part of this conversation, so I usually just go on my phone or something because mm. I don't even have my high school done. You know what I mean? I haven't even graduated. That's how behind. I really do feel like at least my friends that I was sitting there being stupid and doing drugs with and partying with and all this stuff, they've graduated. You know what I mean? So it's just like, and to know again, like, I don't actually, I don't like to look at things as like me being smarter or more capable or anything, but like, I know that I have so much to offer. You know what I mean? I know that I have potential. You know what I mean? I know that I'm smart. I didn't pay attention in school much either, mostly because, like, I don't need to know how to write an essay. I already know that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to learn anything about what is it, like, Literally, I didn't even pay attention. I can't even tell you, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just I didn't need to. Know Why do that I need to know I, the refraction of light? Yeah, to, uh, like it's like be a social I'm, worker. Or, it's like everybody else yeah. was all confused and stuff. You know what I mean? Because people mm-hmm. didn't know what they wanted to do. I'm sitting here. I'm like, that has nothing to do with human rights law. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know that. I'm, I, yeah. All this is pointless because I already know what I'm gonna do and how I need to do it and they what I need be, to do it. Yeah, you they know? should be teaching us more significant things. But one thing that like I kind of took from was school was that you know although I didn't want to do all these shit I didn't need any of it it taught me discipline to do the things that I didn't want to do so I kind of mm. looked at it at a different perspective in that way but Just they wait need till you get that stats course in, well, yeah, but in they your first year of to university teach us things like financial literacy teach me how to do my taxes please <laughs> that should be a I mandatory courses in all schools what? in all secondary schools yes. quite frankly no yeah like, they're available they're all business business, business courses leadership but... things like that but those what? should be mandatory courses it doesn't make sense that i have to take business you know what i mean like you i'm don't... not gonna go out of my way to take business i need that to be as as basic as math as science that needs mm-hmm. to be like what are they called Ta- uh when you have to or mandatory or mandatory you know I mean? or the other term for it is i think uh compulsory yeah like i want that it that has to be a compulsory because i'm not gonna take business i don't care about business i don't at least I didn't think I cared about business until I realized that I'm going to learn how to do it's my taxes. It's 12th year business you know? is what teaches you how to do your taxes, mm-hmm. which means you have to take at least two years worth Wouldn't of business math courses prior. teach you how to do your taxes? Social studies? Technically, maybe? it does. It teaches you principal amounts and how to pay down credit and taxes, but okay, it's well. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the core curriculum to go, hey, this is how you do your taxes, which I agree, it definitely should be. Um. Yeah, I absolutely agree that... <clears throat> you know, there's just a lot that needs fixing up to do in the system. And um, I kind of want to kind of uh, rewind back to one point that was made in regards to um, almost like these foster, not just foster parents, but there's certain people within the, the foster care system which are almost entitled or feel entitled to respect or trust to some degree and i'm back at ovlv um i'm going to call her name i'm not even gonna be real i'm gonna be real um nancy don't know her last name mcgilvery 
No, she's the CEO of York Region CES right now. <clears throat> Not mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, she's, uh, and essentially she came to OVOV and kind of like announced her new position. And one thing, as soon as it left her mouth, I was just, I got such, such like, <clears throat> so off-put by it. She basically called all the kids in care her sons and daughters and so Wasn't on. Wasn't that the Lisa McLeod lady? Nancy McLeod? Maybe. I thought it was Lisa McLeod. No, her name's definitely Nancy. Definitely Nancy. Definitely Nancy. Because um, I remember... Because the Lisa McLeod lady is was the new government hiree for a position. I don't know if her name's at definitively Ms. Lisa McLeod, but I know that she came up at a Power Up event. Now, granted, a lot of these did blend for me. Um, there's <laughs> very infrequent that I get uh, these experiences. So it was, I think it was at the symposium in... Remember when? Yeah. I don't even remember yeah. the different names of them at this Remember point. when we went with Ray? Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Quite frankly, it could have been her. It could have been Nancy. But regardless... Whoever it was, she put herself in a position that wasn't hers yet. Was she, was she, hold on. She was white. Yeah, that was the question I was going to ask. So that was, I felt really awkward when she did that. When she said that. Exactly. Because what she did was like. It was at the symposium. And I remember calling her, exactly. 2018 was the year that we changed governments, right? 2018 was when we had Ontario, we had Doug Ford take over in Ontario. That's why. So I think it's Lisa McLeod. Okay. I think what happened was she took over the position of what Erwin Elman was doing, I think, or something similar. Um, She took over the, I think it's... Advocacy office? Not advocacy office. I think she took over uh, child and youth... uh, the child and youth form for now granted i'm not a politician i (laughs) study it a little bit i've been around the system for a little bit i've been like dealing with it for five years so forgive me if my information is inaccurate i didn't look everything up before i came onto the podcast um but if i'm back on i'll definitely have a name and detail for you back (laughs) the next time i promise yeah um but essentially, like, yeah, she said that. And when she said that, I remember speaking up the next day and calling her out for it. Because essentially what she did was she put herself in a position that wasn't hers yet. She called everybody her sons and daughters. But, like, first of all, we don't even call our own foster parents that. We don't know Nobody you. in care we can say is our mother or our father because they have to earn that if they truly want to be called mm-hmm. our mom. Yeah. Like, take in the power in that kind of dynamic first of all that she put herself in Mm -hmm. but then also the importance of you know earning the name to be called somebody's mother who isn't directly your mother or your father you earn that Mm -hmm. right you don't just walk into a new position and declare that that was disrespectful i called her out for it in front of the entire conferences the entire conference like the day after because it was on my mind and on my heart yeah, like, I don't know if she's going to see this. I hope and she does. I don't know if anybody commented on it, but there's a slight issue with referring to a huge group of black children as your daughters and sons. First of all, if any white person refers to me as their son in any tense way, shape, or form, that's problematic. You're talking to a lot of children who they're as easy as... 
their grandparents, you know what I mean? Or great-grandparents could have been slaves. You know what I mean? Like, this shit doesn't go that far back if people make it seem. You know what I mean? Like, this is just a few decades ago. You 200, know what I gen- mean? 200 years is two generations. Yeah, so... so it's two I, people living to 100. That's literally... That's literally not even my great-grandmother. Bas- barely. You know what I mean? So it's just like... The way... It's just like... You don't refer to us as your son. You know what I mean? Like our slave owners did that to us, and you're gonna sit here and try to put yourself in a in a it's not even in a position owners. of of nurturing or parenthood or guidance. You know what I mean? And then call us your sons and daughters. Yeah, no. It infantilizes. It infantilizes, and it definitely infantilizes a large portion of the black community. Whether that be coming from police officers, whether that be coming from uh, politicians a random white person i understand i know a lot of white people and i know that for them it is something that is an offhanded term that they use as a affectionate term the same way they call the kid a lad or a uh, lass like it's they it's lad and lass in in britain in the uk and the eu Mm -hmm. but over here it's son and son and uh i I don't know what they call women Uh, i've never been a woman so i I, i've I don't mm-hmm. hear the reference like that often. Like, but people in our community little use miss that as stuff like disrespect. Like, like when you're beefing with somebody, be like, you are my son. Mm-hmm. Or essentially, like you're girl. belittling them. Yeah, you're, you're taking away their voice, their power, because you're essentially saying that I am your superior. Mm-hmm. Right? And that is what she did that day. She declared herself as our superior and she might not have noticed kids. that that was the issue but she doesn't she also stated something that she felt comfortable with exactly that we weren't exactly. and it was and like if people anything, people fight for titles yeah there's cage fighters right now that are practicing to, to go be declared a champion mm-hmm. there's basketball players right now in the states working their butt off our raptors who are winning and killing it dropped 150 anyways uh Late. Our Raptors who are working hard <laughs> Do not care, to become champions, they claim that title when they earn it. Exactly. And everybody claims Woo! the title when they earn yeah. it. I wasn't with you until you ended the sentence. Now I get well, it. maybe don't cut me off. Maybe don't cut me off. Yeah, I wouldn't you. Uh, as you were saying. Oh, well, we can't say it. My mom's name is... <laughs> she might get oh, offended. Um... <laughs> The executor, yeah. director, individual. Lady McLeod. Um, cool. Lady McLeod. Lady McLeod. Ooh, that's nice. That kind of sounds like It British. does sound nice. Yeah. Well, still messed up. I know. <laughs> you still messed up. I think up. that makes it even worse, to <laughs> yeah, be honest. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I got chirped for saying miss too much when I was in foster care. Same. So did My I. My mom raised me with manners, and I, I got yelled at for that. Because I'm from America. Like, I'm from the South. Everyone's Mr. Mr. I used to get into trouble. For, like, you know, the whole miss, not saying it, you know, because, like, with aunties, uncles, you call them auntie, and you, the, the auntie yeah. this, auntie that, and then their name, and then, yeah, I used to get chirped for that, especially in Jamaican homes that it was in. Anyways, go on. I got the opposite effect. <laughs> um, I said it, and my foster parents were like, cut that right now. They exactly. <laughs> don't like that shit. Anyways, go ahead. Culture. I mean, I think their perspective was that they have a black foster kid and him walking around calling them Miss and Mr. <laughs> might not look so Mr. great optically. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, hey, true. Mr. X, can I? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that might not look great. Um, Raptors, Lisa McLeod. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
Um, yeah, so in this world, you earn what you claim. Like, you can't just get up and take a title for... You can't just get up and claim a title without proving yourself. And that's what happened when we had the conservative government come in and take over. Ooh. And it's not even like we like the liberal government, what they were doing, because while they were progressing, they've been doing jack ole for a long time. And so the issue came in with the fact that this is a, bar a, a partisan issue, though it should be a bipartisan issue. Mm. And this lady who came out of nowhere came in and that title, like she didn't earn it. Yeah. And not to, not even Respect to say boss, that the people prior earned it. She just didn't. And so yeah. that's why it was so disrespectful. Yeah. I don't remember the feeling in the room. Like, it was horrible. Could you feel was, that uncomfortableness? Ooh. Like, I don't... Like, immediately? You know what was the was weirdest like, part? For me, I was just angered. Mm. Our directors, who one of them is black and another one is a supervisor who Nicolani? is black. Are you Barker and... Oh, Barker. And, and Freeman. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah. The heads of our yeah, agency, yeah. some of some of the heads of our agency are black. Which um, is really good, by the way. But amazing people. Mm -hmm. um, this is why I'll always big up Halton, is they're always doing their best. I'm not even saying that, um, like, they're definitely suited for the positions that they're in. There's not a question about it. These people are, like, definitely people who you'd want leading. Yeah. But I'm just so proud to say that, like, they're willing to have people of color in positions of high, like high up positions. Like the director is second to only our current director. I'm pretty sure. So like, and like, I don't know. It's, it's just, I've always felt uh, empowered by that very fact was that the second, second in command of our, our ship was a black lady yeah. who I was fortunate enough to learn and know, learn about and know about personally because of things like OVOV -OV in 2016 and and this in 2018. Um, and think about it like this, you know, especially because like we're overrepresented within um, the agencies, <laughs> what over 40% of kids in care are black, or at least in Toronto, that we know for sure, but probably even more in Toronto. But yeah, there's a huge disproportionality there that was talked a lot about by Kike Ojo um, at the OVOV. And it's a reality. So being able to have somebody who's properly able to represent us and know what our needs are is big. It's Huge. big in kind of determining our successes. Because we need somebody who identifies with us to be able to advocate us. Advocate and I'm pretty sure us. that they were responsible for Halton's own increased budget for hair. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah. there was Absolutely. things like that. Um, but when they, like, I looked at them when this lady was speaking. Like, I saw her come up. I go, and I was looking at them because I was disagreeing with them with a lot of the things. I was, in 2018, not completely on board with what OVOV was doing. And to this day, uh, I'm not completely on board if that's still what they're doing. Um, what? They were pushing for a solely black CIS, and I don't agree with oh, segregation no. of any type. Yeah, I don't um, I, I know that, but... Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Like I it was, was it was on the plans and that put me off to them. It's not I still think that the events and what they were doing bringing the, together the black community within CAS was huge and I mm -hmm. totally support that. I'd always support them to go for more events. I'm happy my tax dollars yeah. go to that. Absolutely. But um segregation that of CAS yeah. is I I can't understand. I yeah. think it would be better to just try Absolutely. and hire people who understand people better. And here's the thing with all that 
I think what was so vital with that whole speech that she gave was that, yes, there was that superiority complex, but there's also just no partnership. In order for this to work, this is not a, I declare what happens for you mm. and just hope that you're successful. No, this is a partnership. We work together. And that's what's been lacking for so long. That's why I've been pushing to have these conversations because I'm pushing for a partnership between the kids in care and the government and the decision makers. Yes, they're the adults, but ultimately we see what goes on behind closed doors, right? And we can speak on the reality of it. And the reality of it is she declared herself the mother of us and mothers protect their kids. And she didn't because the ombudsman yeah. office took over the advocacy office and we lost our ability to actually talk to somebody. Every person in Canada, or at least in Ontario, knows how ridiculous getting something through the ombudsman office is. is yeah. I, the first thing I heard from my own foster parents when this happened was, why would you ever deal with the ombudsman office? <laughs> wow. Like, how ridiculous is And it wasn't just my foster parents. It was every single person I talked to that was from middle or upper class that might have problems that might deal with the ombudsman office. And I think that really speaks for, I'm not sure if it speaks for the entire conservative party as a whole or just their leader, Doug Ford. And I don't want to, like... I. I Mitchell over here doesn't like it when I call somebody out directly. But at the same time, you know, sometimes it needs to be done. Let's be real. Cause what it said to us is that, and I even wrote this down at the annual board meeting, it told us basically that we're not looking for a partnership here. We're not le- looking to listen to you, okay? We're going to take away our voice, your voice, and because, let's be real, the foster care system makes a lot of money. I don't no. trust Doug Ford as far I as I can throw when it comes like, to this issue. For because somebody who we want to be like our leader, we need somebody who's going to be transparent, who's going to be honest. It's not even that. Doug Ford doesn't care about something until it affects him. He didn't care about COVID, until, and that was never more apparent than this year. Doug Ford didn't care about COVID until it affected him, and he started losing family members to it, or his family member was afflicted with it. Then he really started pushing for masks, and I can understand that. Kids. He has kids. He should care about kids, but he doesn't because his kids aren't in foster care. His kids, are, his kids are fortunate enough that they had a father who was there to help raise them. Or, or I think his kids aren't in foster care because he's Doug Ford. I don't think his kids aren't in foster care because they don't need to be in foster care because they have a good. I'm saying they're stuff. fortunate enough to have a father who's able to be there to raise them, and they yeah. benefit truly from the fact that they were white. Because, I mean, the only reason I'm in care <laughs> is because I'm black. Is it? Yeah, there was kids who were in my neighborhood, in my neighborhood, who had worse upbringings than I did, and and we were taken away. Same family unit, same family size. The difference was they were white and we were black. I actually missed less days of school than half of the kids in my neighborhood, and I was put into care for negligence. Wow. Doesn't make any sense. That and oh, I think you guys should look into like York CES. There's actually a website right now that I'm just going to mention. Uh, I actually might even not include this into the actual podcast to be real. I might cut this part out. Note, take note of this. But there's actually um, off record um, a website right now called Stop York CES, and they talk about how you know they're actually encouraged to have more kids in care. So they look for these like minor situations to put kids in care because they have to reach a certain budget by the end of every year, and so um, re- yeah. It, we could get into a lot more about that, but I think you know. End of story yeah. is this isn't police. We're not quotas. Don't yeah. ticket a child 
don't give a child a traumatic experience that's going to affect them their whole life. We're not, this isn't a speeding fine. Okay. This isn't, this isn't something that you could go, here's a ticket because you were doing something that is actually wrong and it's not going to affect you more than, Hey, I got to go pay this speeding ticket. This isn't a quota. This isn't something that you can just go, hey, I need to make this many amounts of pullovers or stoppages for me to look like I'm actually doing my job. Exactly. No, this is... This is our whole life. This is is our whole life. Exactly. I feel like... I feel like there needs to be... For their job to be considered done... And I say this with a lot of, like, exceptions and moderation... um, Modifications. But I feel like... Maybe, I feel like them, um, what, what, what did you just say? I'm so sorry. About, um, to make them feel like they did their, their job. Oh yeah, budget. I feel like the budget shouldn't be what shows, quote unquote, that they did their job or whatever. I think it should, be they should success start. success and well-being Yeah, I think that they should start, like, showing numbers of how many people are actually going to college. And they don't for a reason. Yeah, exactly. They don't keep track of people who actually age out of the foster care system. It and that's one like thing that is dream. Kova is currently working on is to be able to track the success of kids in Korea because they don't want to face the reality that a bunch of kids are in shelters and my foster mom's quote for me since I was 14 was that CAS will not care for you once you graduate Mm -hmm. they will push you to graduate and once you graduate you're on your own they'll Mm -hmm. wash their hands of you like nobody's business absolutely and And that is why and that is why um with our last episode, our very first episode with Connor Lowe's, he, they were talking about the readiness indicator to be able to change that whole language, that whole idea of aging out of the foster care system and replace it with, like, when is somebody ready to be independent? Mm-hmm. You know, this whole idea with 18-year-olds, 21-year-olds, yeah. you know, because we have two aging outs, right? One where it's just we're no longer in the possession of the government. The second one is we're no longer getting the financial support from the government. At we, 21. Have, we have three. We have to three. To be completely yeah. honest. Oh, and then we have three. 25. Ones. Yes, 25. Well, it's, it's not even that. It's, we have 16-year-olds who get put into semi-independent. Oh, we have yeah. 15-year-olds mm. who get put into semi-independent in some places. Mm. So yeah. it's like you have kids who, granted, at 16, I think I could have taken care of myself. Do I think I would have done it well? No. no. That's why I needed to stay in my home. And that's why I did stay in my home. Mm-hmm. My worker told me to me flat. She yeah. said, you're dumb. No, stay in your home. Mm-hmm. You're not ready for this yet. Yeah. And I guarantee you, I probably wasn't. I would have made do, but I probably wouldn't be as far ahead as I am now if I didn't stay there longer. Absolutely. That's and why I, like- I know kids who left at 16. I know kids who, to avoid homelessness, were put out into semi-independent because the group homes wouldn't take them in anymore. I know kids who had to go back to horrible situations because they weren't looked they weren't going to be looked after anymore and yeah. from that like our our friend who ended up having to move to Ottawa like went from a situation in a group home where he was unhappy to being in a situation living back home where he was not in a safe environment whatsoever there was guns there was this that and the third and then he and then he finally gets out. He finally moves away, and now it's taken him years to get back on his feet. Yeah, he's just now getting back on his feet. We need I'm to proud of that him language. for it. Yeah, I'm really proud of Connor Lowe's because like, he's currently like the interim president for Youth and Care Canada, and that's something that he's been working on with Cheyenne Ratnam, um, who is the founder of the Ontario something uh, advocacy coalition. 
And so the whole idea with the readiness indicators, I think it's really important. And I 100% vouch for that. Workers, well, when Aiden was talking about the, um, they don't really care after you graduate. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like they either don't care after you graduate, and I also feel like they don't care after they start to feel like you're not going to graduate. Like, if they don't think that you're going to graduate, they kind of throw their hands up. Because it's just like, they just don't see it getting anywhere type of thing. And yeah. I feel like um, at that point, it's basically the same thing as graduating. It's like, this is as far as you're going to get in this sector, so whatever. You know what I mean? So I um, I just feel like, yeah, I, th- I feel like I was, people were on my back, on my back, on my back. And I... I literally have one credit left. I have still to this day one credit left. And um, I ended up leaving school right before I got that last credit done. And it's like the second I was homeless, everyone's hands got, like, you know, they were just like, we can't do anything now. You're 18. You happen to be homeless now that you're 18. So, you know what I mean? And the thing was, I was still living in a group home when I was 18, right? So... <clears throat> because a group from I was in, you were able to possibly stay to 18 as long as you're doing what they said or whatever. But, um, so understand that being 18, I was fortunate to still be able to stay in a group home. You know what I mean? But, but, um... Fortunate to still stay in a hellscape. Yeah, yeah like, right? think about that. And, um, I just, I... Man. I was fortunate enough to stay in a group home. Um, sorry. And, um... And it like, just... what did that do for you? Like, Well, I mean, I had a place to live. Yeah. <laughs> Realistically, like, um... And it was just hard thinking that I was going to be okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? The not being okay. And then, um... It's like we're settling. Out of all things, I actually got... Which I think there needs to be more light on, but obviously not for this topic, but... Like, when it comes to youth and care with chronic disability, chronic illnesses, you know what I mean? Like, Mental health. I fully got kicked out of the group home because I couldn't go to the gym because I was having a flare-up. Like, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. I was having a flare-up, and I couldn't go to the gym. Mm. So I got kicked out of the group home. They handed that. me garbage bags and a list of shelters, and I left. And that was it. Imagine, keep in mind, when you're having a flare-up, especially with what I was having, for, I've, you have next to no mobility. And they put me on the street. Before you know that. what I mean? With bags. I can't even hold them because God, if I bags. do, it pulls down my shoulder and I can't. You know what I mean? Same thing so it's just like, I really... And then that's why the whole aging out thing, I, I stress on numbers. Because the way my timeline worked out, 18, I was in a group home. I became homeless. You know what I mean? So then for those years... I disappeared from the advocacy work I was doing for yeah. a bit. I disappeared literally from everyone. I was on, like, I was making very, very bad decisions with my life. You know what I mean? So I didn't want anyone to see me like that. Um, and then I turned 21. What was it? Last year. Um, last year, December, I turned 21. And I had just got housed um, at the age of 20, maybe. No. Yeah, at the age of 20, I had just gotten housed. Um... I had just gotten clean from the drugs that I was doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I I had just had my baby. and then, Started recovery. Yeah, yeah. I come fully, fully recovery. You know what I mean? And I had my baby November 27th. And when I tell you I turned 21 December 2nd, and I did not get one check with that baby. Not one. And I aged out. So understand that I had the baby, and they were like, oh, we're so happy for you. He's so beautiful, but we can't do anything for you. You know what I mean? 
because I was 21. I literally had the baby turn 21 and that was it. And there's people and in I'm the now, agency fighting for us to be able to do something with her and we or with him and we couldn't. Mm-hmm. It was just it's so it's so ridiculous and the fact that they don't care. They consider oh you're 21 so you should be good. You know what I mean? I just like, got stable. Right. <laughs> like just got stable. Like that's why we talk about like this whole role as a government trying to take over legal guardianship of kids. You're 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 trying you're taking over responsibility for somebody. You know, you're trying to care for someone's life, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, once you become a parent, you don't just stop being a parent ever. With the second either you or your child dies is when you stop becoming a parent, right? You, Maybe. Even, job, even, even after then, that. Yeah. Even after that. Yeah. Your they, lessons your live job, on. Your ideology lives on when exactly, you're parenting. Like, all that stuff stays. Just give they just le like be, pretend like you didn't even exist after you turn a certain age that's not right you can't do that and that's like the biggest indicator that the you know the government doesn't care about these thousands of kids they put on a face they put on a mask and pretend like they do for the public just so they look good it, it's it's disgusting because like when it starts to actually like you know when kids actually want to start talking about their experiences the reality well we're, they're going to shut us down watch them try watch them try again i think i will always claim my foster parents my my actual mother and my worker are my biggest benefit but like i couldn't imagine feeling comfortable going to school living on res and then not having a place to live the months I'm not on rest. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because I can't go back home. There is no home. Mm -hmm. I'm 18. I'm no longer a foster yeah. kid. Um, I'm 21. I'm no longer getting supported to be on res. Mm -hmm. I'm no longer getting supported to be in, like, my... Now, granted, I feel real bad for King, King. because when COVID hit, they extended till the end of the year everybody's uh, CCSY. <gasps> really? Yeah. So... CCS, uh, right CCSY extended out. to 21. Yeah. I know, that's why I told Cassie. Three months after yeah. King aged out. I, I put, so um, you should probably still be able to No, this is, what I, this is what I was telling our youth leader. Sorry, because I can't say names. But that's what I was telling her because I just aged out. Yeah. Just. Like, just. You know what I mean? Like, come Those, on. They should be able to extend I think that the 21-year-olds like, should, should at least. You know what I mean? I like, know. And also. But, like, think of it like that. Like, bro. Mm -hmm. Even like, at 21, there's... They, they stop caring. Even, care like, I anymore. was able to get my stuff together by 21, but mm -hmm. if I fumbled for a year more, I might be in dire straits come next year. Mm -hmm. Like, the difference is Bruh. one choice. The difference could be one choice to go out and hang out with a couple of friends and you relapse, and then, like, that mm -hmm. stuff is ridiculous. Well, I, um, I like mm -hmm. to consider my privilege because okay. being a black trans past addict da, 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 minority minority you know what i mean like being all that i still have i still like to acknowledge my privilege in the system you know really what I the mean? king of and minorities I, eh? <laughs> I really literally am the king the, of minorities. the king of minorities <laughs> but what do you call it but um i just like to consider yeah that privilege portion like i i do a lot of stuff with cas i'm well known with cas people mm -hmm. like me at cas i'm mm -hmm. very you know what I mean? Like, people, person. What does that do for you? Like, 
but what does it do for you? The thing is, is it it does the fact that it even does a little more than it would a person not that. The way I think about it is, if it they're not us, listening to but me, they still don't. If they're not listening you. to me, yeah. yeah. And they don't respect me, and I'm me. I'm that Kingston. speaks volumes. What about on them. what about what about Jason? Anybody. You yeah. know what I mean. What about the little kid that nobody's listening to? Exactly. What about the little Tina, kid? Who can't you know what I mean. The, the kid that isn't involved in CAS or who that's not doing the advocacy. The yeah. one that's literally just been forgotten. Yeah. Are you even looking at her? You not, know what I mean. I like you at not. least you're glimpsing at me. You know <laughs> what I mean. That and think you about put how hard in front of the yeah. and you wave your arms and make sure that they cannot not see you mm-hmm. kind of thing but there's tina who doesn't know her rights and she can't wave her arms because she doesn't even know if she can wave her hand the whole idea know? of the foster care system is stupid man mm-hmm. it's stupid. the idea is good it is a good premise to want to take on and help children who are abused yeah. beaten i left also behind. feel like that's people that's like i feel like that's the same thing as people saying that the idea of police is good the idea well, of police is. is good that's, yeah but, but that's the reality but there's the a difference thing, between ideology and then the way that that ideology works yeah well clearly you want a different um, reality basis because i don't think the idea of police are credible at all i think it's all awful no matter what you can't avoid policing okay anyways before we before before (laughs) we do that that's the next podcast guys (laughs) like um so i really kind of wanted to close off this conversation Mm -hmm. super quickly and kind of really talk about um you know you know two things um so first thing i want to mention is so we what we need to do right now is kind of talk about you know clearly what needs to change okay what needs to change is the leadership that is representing youth in care they don't care okay Mm -hmm. um we need to be able to have somebody who understands us who's emotional who's passionate to be able to represent us right i don't even need you to care but I need you to do your job. I, I, we need you to do your job. I don't know how somebody gets but elected to protect do, kids yeah. and doesn't protect kids year after year after year and still has their job. But you can't get out do of your there. job if you don't care. Let's mm-hmm. be real. There has to be some kind of joy, some kind of passion there for you to do it well. There should be. But I'm, I'm fine with someone who's able to just a get it snake done. and just gets the job done. As long as it's too. getting done. That is great. And so... We I would, need to be I would, able to vote better. I would well. prefer. I would love the passionate. I would love Lisa McLeod to be our mom. If she could really do it. If she could really do it, she could be the best lady I wouldn't because she could declare I lost lots of respect. Okay. Listen, 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 listen. Assuming she didn't come out saying the ridiculous nonsense that she came out yeah, saying. If she earned it. Yeah, if she earned it and claimed it and, you know, was able to be. Didn't own slaves. Okay, hold on. Just let's. Assuming that she came out this bubbly person who was really easy to get along with and really worked for us. Mm-hmm. That would be, I would be super passionate I, and super passionate, did their, did their job to the best of their abilities and pushed for us to get mm-hmm. better off in life yeah. because it's necessary or whatever. So what is if she was, job? That would be great. But even if she was just the person who did her job what and protected job? us, because that's what her job is, is to protect and make sure that the youth who are falling behind, falling behind because of no situational choice of their own, yeah. get an even playing ground, not ahead, an even playing ground. That's what we fight for. Yeah. We just want to start at the same point. That's it. I don't care if I start at 25. And so- I just want to be able to start at the same point. 
And so some things that could allow us to get us to that even playing point is work on our mental health, okay? We need serious, serious work on mental health health early on, right? Um, education, because regardless, education is important. Um, most, most important. Absolutely. Stability and that consistency in the support, you know, just stability and consistency, consistency in general when it comes to housing, when it comes to being able to stay connected with your siblings and staying in the same foster home. Those and the mentorship matter. of somebody who's and done mentorship. it. Mentorship. Perfect. We could talk about that. We could work on that if you want to, if you care. And, you know, your and response, we're here. We'll, we're We've here. been here. We've been here. King and I have been here we're for eight years doing this. Yeah. Or seven years doing this. We have the rap sheet. We're happy to help. Absolutely. And so the final thing, which I want to ask both of you guys before we cl- close off here, is what exactly would it would you need to be able to overcome some of those experiences within the foster care system? If there's anything that you would want that will help you out right now, what would you want help with? Housing, education, emotional support, counseling, rehab. What I what? needed to overcome foster care, what I needed to get ahead was mentorship mentorship that was the biggest thing it wasn't money it wasn't i was good with money i've always been good with money it wasn't it was support from somebody who actually cared and i was fortunate enough to have that from big brothers big sisters prior to even going into foster care so it's that in and of itself it is Finding somebody who can help guide this kid when their foster parents can't. It's finding somebody who can, ha- who this kid can open up to when mm-hmm. somebody else, when no, when they can't open up to anybody else. It's being able to depend on a person. And you have to be okay with foster kids rejecting the same applicant 85 times. Because whether that person wants to be there or not, if they break when a foster kid pushes them away, then they ain't it. Mm-hmm. And it might not be, they just might not be for that kid. Yeah. There might be a kid out there that will push them only so far and then they don't break and then that kid's perfect with them. Mm-hmm. But you have to make sure that these people are good people and they're not going to abuse the children in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure that they're consistent people and they're not going to break these kids' hearts three, four months down the line after they formed a good relationship or two years down the line once they formed a good relationship. These people have to be in it for the long haul. Amazing. How about you, King? Mm, what was the question? So what would you need right now to help you overcome the effects of foster care, if any? Mm, um, monetary support would be very nice. Um... Uh, yeah. Monetary support so nice. Um, um, emotional support would be really nice, too. Um, mm, mm, I, I don't know. Honestly, those are two big things. Mm-hmm. I think we could work with that. Any kind of final remarks for you guys? Okay. Um, I 
this has been a very good conversation. It's just so tiring, though. You yeah, know what I mean? It is. Like, I'm so sick of talking about this. <laughs> like, I'm just so sick of talking about it. Yeah. Like, why are we still talking about it? You know what I mean? Actually, yeah. Like, it just, it's just so frustrating. Why am I sitting here talking about how I need monetary support? Don't you think, like, look at it from a government standpoint. You know what I mean? Like, you're giving a single parent 360 a month <laughs> to take care of their child. Oh, my mom's You know laughing. what I mean? <laughs> she, like, she was on. <laughs> like, you're, you're, how am I supposed to do that? How? Just literally how? Like, think about it. Baby's food is like $50 at least. You know wow. what I mean? Like, how? And that's not including internet and phone bills. That's already something, the whole 360. You know what I mean? So, um, it's just frustrating. And it's really frustrating to feel like, oh, I'm 21 now, so I'm good. You know what I mean? Or, like, I'm in Peel. I'm living in Peel. You know what I mean? It's really frustrating. Um, it's really frustrating that because I couldn't afford Halton rent, I'm forgotten about. I feel like I'm just out here in Peel. You know yeah. what I mean? And like Halton, the agency that I advocate for. Yeah. You know what I mean? The agency that I do so much work for. Sometimes I feel like they forget about me. You know what I mean? Because I'm out in Peel. You know what I mean? Or because I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Or like sometimes I can't get through the people. Yeah. You know? Because I'm just not emotionally able to have a conversation. It's these conversations like this. That, like, even if they literally drain me emotionally healing. and mentally and physically, yeah, like, they have to happen. They, nobody's going to get better without these conversations taking place. Yeah. So I'm just so happy that we were able to come here and talk about this. <laughs> that makes me so happy. You don't understand. I'm trying to keep in my excitement. I would just say the golden rule of foster care should be, if you wouldn't want it for your kid, don't put it on our kids. End of story. If you wouldn't want your kid to have to deal with going to school with a garbage bag to put in their locker because they're getting kicked out of their home that day, don't give that to our kid. Yeah. If you don't want your kid not going through school because nobody's helping support them, don't put that on our kids. If you don't want your kid falling into drugs because they were kicked out and homeless, if you don't want them falling into drugs because they were misguided and let alone when they shouldn't have been don't give it to our kids don't kick our kids out don't put them in a situation where they have to be homeless don't force that on them yeah mm. Bro, you've been saying things that i've been saying for years now we're not the first ones we're not the first ones but we understand what needs to happen 2014 Anyways. was when the laws changed and you know we're not gonna be the last ones either no but we'll we'll make it easier for the next generation i am going to be for god for, no yeah i'm going to be doing everything i can humanly possible to make sure that i make it easier for the next generation mm-hmm. for sure like my son's not this going gonna to be this. a fight <laughs> this is gonna be a fight and this is gonna be draining but yeah you really gotta make sure that you're emotionally prepared for this so um pretty much to kind of end this off i would love you guys to plug in your information any platforms anything that you want to promote anything that you got going on you do that here's what i'll promote if you're not part of the agency and you're listening to this go find your local agency 
and go talk with them. Find out how you can help. Whether that be you become a foster parent because you are ready and able to meet the requirements, whether that be you become a mentor or or a guidance member or member, even just a regular member of the community, whether it be you become part of the Donors Foundation, it doesn't matter how you help. All that matters is that you're willing to. Yeah. Um, I don't have any social media. It matters for me how you help. Yeah. Um, um, Shanice has my email. <laughs> PayPal me. <laughs> no, honestly. Um, yeah, we'll talk Setting more about that. Setting up that account for a kid. To be honest. <laughs> right. um, but, guys, thank you so much for coming here. This has been so powerful. This, this has been a long-ass conversation, a long journey, but it's so vital and it's going to change the game. Let's be real. This will change the game. I'm going to make sure of it. If you have made it to the end, thank you so much for listening. Please support us by liking and sharing our content and support the youth that come onto our show. So you've just gotten insider information from the outsiders and we hope in some way you found a home in us. We will see you next time, but until then, take care.